Are there Ides of December? That would be today, December 15th, if it were a thing. The magic of the internet likely makes it possible I could simply look up this fact, but I throw it out to the collective wisdom of readers and listeners of Charlottesville Community Engagement to let me know for certain. I'm Sean Tubbs, and I've got far too many things to investigate as it is. On today's program, the developers of a 245-unit development on East High Street submit new preliminary plans in response to a preliminary denial from Charlottesville planners, and two attorneys weigh in. A former Charlottesville city manager has left a job running a similar community in North Carolina. Champion will farm out its brewing and distribution to a North Carolina brewing platform. Albemarle County is waiting on the results of a grant application for state funding to help make a 31-acre portion of the North Fork Discovery Park even more business-ready, and an update on an ongoing study to determine a better structure to govern transit operations in the area. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, What does 19th century slave owner and U.S. statesman Henry Clay have to do with legendary boxer Muhammad Ali? The Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society, in partnership with the Center at Belvedere, will welcome Leontine Clay Peck for a screening of her newly released documentary, Clay 1613, An American Family in Black and White. This will take place Thursday, December 22nd at 6 p.m. at the Center. The film explores Mrs. Peck's 18-year journey finding and documenting her Clay family ancestry, the black and white, known and unknown, rich and poor descendants of the planter, John Clay, who arrived in Jamestown, Virginia by 1613. Bring your family and join them to learn more about this unexpected connection and much more. The film screening will be followed by a discussion with Mrs. Peck with time for questions from the audience. Register at thecenterseville.org. Consultants hired by Seven Development have submitted a second plan for a project to build 245 apartment units off of East High Street on a property within the floodplain. City staff issued a preliminary denial in October. An attorney hired by the firm has also weighed in on a memo stating that the modified plan should comply with city regulations. In a memo, Valerie Long with the firm Williams Mullen said that the updated preliminary site plan should comply with all applicable provisions of the zoning ordinance. The revised plan looks much the same, with the same footprint of 322,000 gross square feet, But the description of building heights for the three structures now states clearly that they will be in the B1 zoning district. The plan now breaks down the 245 units as being 25 studios, 135 one-bedroom units, and 85 two-bedroom apartments. In an email this morning to Charlottesville Community Engagement, civil engineer Justin Shimp also said there are now sidewalks from the project to East High Street sidewalk improvements on Caroline Avenue, and a path from the development to the Rivanna Trail. That, he said, would be compliant with the Americans with Disability Act. The plan also notes that the Rivanna River Company is expected to remain on the property. 
In her memo, Long rebutted several of the reasons that led staff in the Department of Neighborhood Development Services to deny the site plan. The project is being submitted by right, which means the developers contend they do not need to have a legislative decision from city council to grant them the use of the property as described. However, staff issued several reasons for denial in a letter dated October 26th, including an interpretation of the city's current zoning matrix that claims an entrance to the site could not be made from Caroline Avenue, which is a residential district. A second entrance would enter the site from land on East High Street, zoned Central City Corridor. In her memo, Long writes that multifamily residential is a by-right use in that central city corridor district and that the property has frontage on East High Street. She said that the project is not adjacent and is not a separate primary use. This gets really complicated to talk about. It's really one of the places where the reading part's probably better. Long said that the provision has not been applied in other situations and called the city's interpretation absurd and illogical. Her memo uses the example of the dairy market as an existing site in the city that should not have permitted under staff's logic, as well as the 323 building downtown. Jimp Engineering is the firm who worked on the design. They also had a response letter to city staff. One comment from the city suggested that smaller house-sized buildings be constructed instead, given the general residential designation in the city's future land use map. Staff at SHIMP have a different interpretation. While the future land use map recommends the development of general residential zones as house-sized structures, the Zero East High property presents a unique opportunity to provide a substantial amount of housing that is near the city center. An attorney hired by opponents of the development has responded with a letter of his own, citing the 2005 Virginia Supreme Court ruling in Capel versus Orange County, which involved another development that had multiple types of zoning. That case had to do with a road across residential property that was to be used to access a mining operation. City staff will review the new submission and provide comments by January 20th. Will this one go to court? What do you think? The man who served as Charlottesville city manager from late 2010 to the middle of 2018 is stepping down as the administrator of a town near the University of North Carolina's main campus. Maurice Jones said in a press release that went out on Tuesday that it was an honor to serve the town of Chapel Hill and that he has reassessed his personal priorities and has decided to resign. Jones spent over four years in Chapel Hill. He became Charlottesville's Director of Communications in 1999 and held that position for six years before leaving for a job related to the University of Virginia. Jones returned to the city as an assistant city manager in 2008, before being appointed as interim manager in 2010. The Chapel Hill Town Council has already appointed an interim administrator. Meanwhile, the city of Charlottesville is still without a person overseeing its communications in a position now called Director of Communications and Public Engagement, or CAPE. The job is posted if you want to throw your hat in the ring. A Charlottesville brewery that launched in 2012 and spawned a restaurant group will now have the bulk of their distribution conducted by a North Carolina beverage platform called Bavana. Here's a section from a press release 
sent out on Tuesday. All of the brewery's distribution will now be handled by the platform alongside their ever-growing portfolio of independent craft partners. Ten people have been laid off, according to a spokesperson for Champion. Bavana, formerly known as Community Brewing Ventures, is based in Newton, North Carolina. The company markets and distributes products that are created elsewhere. Here's a section from their website. At Bavana, we help independent beverage makers to create more of the drinks that you love and connect them with our retail, distribution, and e-commerce channels to let you find and enjoy them. Bavana's master brewer is Levi Duncan, who helped launch Champion. Last November, Champion announced a merger with Reason, a brewery that opened in Seminole Place in 2017. The idea was for Champion to move its production facilities from Broadway Street in Albemarle County to the larger space. Reason's taproom will close at the end of the year. Champion was one of the first breweries to open in Charlottesville to take advantage of a new law that allowed agricultural producers to operate tasting rooms outside of local zoning controls. A taproom opened on 6th Street without a commercial kitchen and relied on food trucks. The company later began offering its own food. Around the same time as that, CEO Hunter Smith began to branch out to additional locations and into food service. The Champion Hospitality Group opened several restaurants, such as the Champion Grill in Stonefield, Saison Brasserie in the downtown mall, and Siren in the Vinegar Hill Shopping Center below Staples. Passiflower was opened in the firmer Commonwealth Restaurant and Sky Bar. In 2020, the Champion Ice House launched in Gordonsville in partnership with chef Craig Hartman. The spokesperson for Champion said that Champion is still the brewing partner for that operation. Both Champion Grill and a Champion Brewery in Lynchburg have also closed within the past few months. The taproom on 6th Street will remain open and will continue to brew beer. Albemarle County's Economic Development Office is waiting on the results of a grant application to help prepare a location to reach a new level of certification from the Virginia Economic Development Partnership. J.T. Newberry is the Principal Business Development Manager for the office. This is a process we've been in since September um, where we're working with the University of Virginia Foundation to ready 31 and a half acres within North Fork. Site selection officials visited the area recently to ask questions about their grant application for work to get a site to Tier 5 status under the Virginia Business Ready Site Program. We're asking for about $7.5 million to to ready that 31.5 acres. That would essentially allow us to accommodate a prospect within 12 to 18 months with, with much more confidence than we have now. That would include an access road. Newbury said a recommendation will be made to Governor Glenn Youngkin, and an announcement should be out within the next month or so. Newbury made his comments at the December 13, 2022 meeting of the Economic Development Authority's Board of Directors. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and it's now time for the first Patreon-supported shout-out of the day. Crisp air, colorful leaves, hot cocoa, snow days. There are plenty of reasons to get excited about the winter, but the return of high heating bills is not one of them. 
Your local energy nonprofit, LEAP, has been empowering Virginians with energy efficiency and solar solutions since 2010. With programs for all income levels, residents can access upgrades like insulation, LED bulbs, low flow fixtures, and affordable rooftop solar systems. Visit leapva.org to learn more. Fill out the LEAP Services inquiry form to lower high heating bills and stay cozy this winter. For much of the past year and a half, planners at the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission and hired consultants have been crafting a regional transit vision intended to make public transportation a more effective option for people to get around the broader community. Now, some of those consultants are working with the TJPDC on a study to recommend how to move from a system of multiple transit agencies to something more unified. This second attempt to create a regional transit authority is being funded in part by the Department of Rail and Public Transportation with funding from Albemarle and Charlottesville. Stephanie Amoning Yangson is with AECOM. She said the study will recommend strategies to expand governance opportunities for localities in the entire region and to identify new forms of revenue. The main idea is to create a government entity similar to the Central Virginia Transportation Authority, which receives tax dollars that derive from transportation spending. So this is going to be a year-long study, and uh, we kicked off um, a few months ago, and so this will carry out through uh, December 2023. The work will involve reviewing the existing systems, reviewing what peers are doing, and reviewing what enabling legislation may exist for those new forms of revenue. Once we have a good understanding of the funding piece, then we can develop some scenarios for uh, governance and funding allocations. Some of that work has already taken place. Emoning Yangson explained some of the history of transit in the area. For instance, Charlottesville Area Transit began as a division of the city's Public Works Department in 1975. In 1978, what was then called Charlottesville Transit Service began providing some service in Albemarle County on a contract basis. In 1985, the service began to handle pupil transportation as well. The rebranding to Charlottesville Area Transit took place in 2010, and I wrote about that back then. The city of Charlottesville has sole control over Charlottesville area transit, and taxpayers contribute over $2.5 million to the service in the current fiscal year. Jaunt was formed in 1982 as a public service corporation, with 100 shares of stock split between Albemarle, Charlottesville, Fluvanna, Louisa, and Nelson. There is a 12-member board made up of appointees from those localities. They have the four each from the city and Albemarle, and then two each from Fluvena, Luisa, and Nelson. The University Transit Service is a division of the University of Virginia's Department of Parking and Transportation and is funded by student fees and other sources of revenue. There is no federal money involved in the UTS budget. Like we can see, the three main services, transit services, are very different in terms of their governance structure or and their organizational setup. Amoning Yangson also said there will be outreach to other localities to gauge their interest in participation. The next step is that peer review study. 
Rebecca White, the director of the University Transit Service, said that she wanted the partnership and the audience at home to know that UVA does financially support both CAT and Jaunt. We are supportive of the Jaunt Connect services. We, we are interested in the work trip, supporting a work trip, so that means fixed route, um, so Carose Connect, Cunningham Connect. Garland Williams, director of Charlottesville Area Transit, said new revenues will be needed to increase service in as robust a manner as called for in the Regional Transit Vision Plan. The general funds from the city and the county are not going to be able to support that. This latest governance study comes at a cost of $150,000. As I said, the Department of Rail and Public Transportation are covering half the cost, with Albemarle, Charlottesville, and the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission picking up the rest. Here are some other bits of transit information from the rest of the partnership meeting. There are other studies underway at the moment related to transit. Charlottesville Area Transit has been working with a consultant on a fuel alternative study, and that will enter into the stakeholder phase with completion in March. Jaunt has had a public process to go through a similar study and have met three times this year with all of the information posted online. Meanwhile, Charlottesville Area Transit has an advisory board that has not met since the pandemic. Albemarle County Schools have issued a request for proposals for third-party vendors to provide limited transportation services. There's a link for that in the newsletter. Charlottesville Area Transit will soon launch work on a transit strategic plan. These plans are required by the Virginia Department of Rail and Public Transportation. Williams also told the partnership that the city has an additional $300,000 in revenue that can go to benches and shelters, but a project manager is required to help make that happen. The next meeting of the Jefferson Area Regional Transit Partnership is on January 26, 2023. There's a link to the last meeting in the newsletter if you want to prepare, but I'll warn you, the audio quality is not good. And if you just listen to the podcast, you know that by now. But we are at the end of another edition of this program with a whole lot of information put together within the last 24 hours or so. The hope had been to get most of this out yesterday, but I opted to not work on a deadline. I let people know about my decision via the chat function on Substack. I had been making those kinds of updates on Twitter, but my days on that platform are likely numbered. So if you want to know more about what's happening with each show, take a look at the chat, link in, newsletter. Now on to begin the work, on to the next one, which will have information from the Charlottesville Planning Commission meeting from the other night. In a perfect world, I would have coverage of that out on Wednesday. And it's my hope that by the time there are a hundred more or so of these done, I will be able to pay at least one person to help me gather and present the information. That's possibly where you come in. There are now close to 1,800 subscribers on this list, and between a fourth and a third contribute financially in some way. There are many options to do so, but I must state again that I am not a nonprofit. Instead, I am taking advantage of the services Substack offers to help authors and writers seek an independent path, financed by readers and listeners. A neat thing, as well, is that internet provider Ting will match your initial payment at any of the three levels on offer. $5 a month, Ting will match. $50 a year, Ting, they're gonna match that. $200 a year, Ting, 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 Ting! I am confident there's a market for the kind of journalism I practice. 
And I will hold up my end of the bargain by working tirelessly to bring you as much information as I can. Thank you for reading or listening. Thanks for listening. And thanks as well to Tatiana Patton and Jen Finazzo for their audio contributions today. In exchange, Jen wants you to know about Fiori Floral Studio for all your holiday floral needs. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with another installment. Goodbye.